Welcome to Strike Deck Radio, a podcast focused on customer success and the leaders who are implementing best practices in our field. This podcast is brought to you by Strike Deck and the Success League. Strike Deck is a customer success automation platform that enables CSMs to manage customer relationships. The Strike Deck solution enables churn prevention, upsells, and customer advocacy. They use machine learning and predictive analytics to bubble up insights and alerts about things like customer health, sentiment, and engagement. The Success League is a consulting firm focused on customer success. We work with executives who are ready to build and develop a top-performing customer success team that drives retention and revenue for their organization. For more information, you can visit our website at thesuccessleague.io. My name is Kristen Hare, and I'm the host of Strike Deck Radio and the founder and CEO of the Success League. For over 15 years, I've been a sales, marketing, and customer success executive, and my career has primarily focused on early and growth stage tech companies. My company, the Success League, works with companies of all sizes, both in software as a service and traditional industries. Joining me today on the podcast is Mark Pecoraro, a serial customer success executive and advisor. We're going to be talking about how customer success fits into the ecosystem of a company and how customer success leaders can optimize their working relationships with leaders on their teams. Mark, thanks so much for being willing to share your perspective. Can you give our listeners a rundown on your background and the projects you're working on right now? Sure. Thanks a lot, Kristen. I started my career at Sybase as a tech support engineer as employee number 10 and was with the company taking it public in the early 90s. And from there, moved on to SuccessFactors where I was employee number 6. After that, I was at Commerce One, which was a big public company in the e-commerce area. And I went to Accept Software Corporation in 2006. And Accept is where I really cut my chops on the subscription economy and how customer success fit into these things. Accept started as a hybrid company delivering both on-premise solutions as well as hosted solutions. And we learned via our funding efforts that the VC community wasn't much interested in any hybrid business models given the fact that SaaS and decision support applications were you know, made to go hand in hand. <laughs> and so um, we did. We moved to 100% SaaS model and that's really where I ended up learning about customer success. We didn't call it that, mm-hmm. but the realization we were going from a product-based economy where you sold something once for a large amount of money and then you followed up with bits and pieces of services to truly being a services company. You know, it's a second right. S. It's yeah. a second S in SaaS that people forget. And it's not just the people servicing the customers. It's a whole culture. It's a mentality. And it affects everybody and every function in the company. And so... I got very deep in understanding how to get a comprehensive view of a customer. Uh, we call it a 360-degree view now. And, you know, out of necessity, had to work with sales and product to figure out how we become a service organization because we had that product-based mentality before. Right. That, that was yeah. our roots. So many lessons learned. And then we did sell that company. And from 2012 on, I've held a variety of VP of customer success positions, Mm -hmm. all in venture funded, B2B, 
you know, high value complex solutions, companies that range from 15 to 40 million a year and, you know, 100 to 300 employees. So that'll give you a framework, you know, because customer success is very different, right? It is. If you're a 30 person startup, your parameters are very different than if you're a $25 million run rate you know, 200 people. And that's going to really differ if you're a big public company with the complexities that go with it. So it's important to kind of frame kind of where I'm coming at. Absolutely. Well, and it sounds like you've, you know, you've had a pretty broad spectrum of different sizes of companies and different stages of companies too. Yep, absolutely. You know, success factors. I was employee Mm -hmm. six, we were unfunded. Yeah. (laughs) And Commerce One, I was employee 5,500 and we were a $30 billion you know, public company. So I've had the pleasure of seeing what it's like to be at the ground floor creating a company and then what it's like to be an officer in a public company and right. all the restrictions that come yeah. that come with that. So it's given me a good broad spectrum of, of you know, size of company and things that need to be done, mm-hmm. you know, to scale. And that's a big challenge for folks getting into customer success now is, you know, how do we put in the process, the the people, the technology, and and what do we do so we can scale up? Because even though companies, uh, every company has a different journey, the intent is always to grow. Right. The intent is always to grow, and and the unknown is is how fast are we going to grow, and are we going to be able to deal with that growth in a a positive and and scalable fashion. Yeah. So I've been very active as well, outside of whatever day job activities I have in the customer success community. Uh I'm an advisor to Strike Deck. I've been an advisor to other technology companies. I do a lot of uh, networking and blogging because I find this is a fascinating discipline, but it's evolving. It absolutely is. And we're all coming from our own experience and perspective, and we all have a lot to offer, and we all have much more to learn. Yeah. And so I love meeting folks like you and the Strike Deck team because that collaboration, I think, helps us all. So I'm also the chairman of the Customer Success Governing Council which is a group of about 20 senior customer success leaders. And our goal is to further the adoption of customer success principles and practices, which enable businesses to achieve and sustain growth through customer retention and expansion. And so one of the outcomes of this group and and their thought leadership is to help seed a lot of the meetups that happen around the Bay Area. And so now there's a whole cadence of meetups that happen in, I believe, San Francisco, San Mateo, Mm -hmm. Santa Clara, and I believe there's some things getting set up in the East Bay. So our goal is really to to get people collaborating, sharing best practices, sharing lessons learned. And I just firmly believe if we rise the tide of customer success as a discipline, mm-hmm. you know, we, we all win. Absolutely. Um, because it's still very, I think early on is, is a, is a accepted discipline and what are the standards and how do you do it? Right. That's both challenging, but it's also super exciting. It is exciting. It's exciting. That's what I love about it right now too, is it it's at a really fun point where it's, it's young enough that there's still a lot of change happening and, and that's fun to work through with my clients. And then, you know, there's a lot left to go, so we have a lot that we can develop into over time. And yeah, it's pretty neat. Yeah, we're only starting, and and yeah. I know in our discussion here we'll talk about some topics and and some stories. But you know, I guess I was fortunate to to first get into customer success and learn what wasn't customer success. So right. <laughs> it can be the nice shiny label that we put on it because it's a buzzword. 
especially in the venture-funded community, although it's going much beyond that now. So I've, I've learned a lot of lessons, uh, yeah. both, both good and bad. So that helps fuel your, your perspective of uh, where we've gotten to Absolutely. today. Absolutely. Okay, so Mark, when you and I spoke about potential topics for this episode, you brought up the idea of how customer success interacts with so many of the different departments within a company. And we talked about how important it is that customer success has really strong relationships with other teams. And given that you've gotten to see this function work in lots of different sizes of companies and lots of different kinds of companies, we wanted to talk about you know some recommendations that you had. But before we get to your recommendations, I would love to hear some war stories, and I know uh, the listeners love to hear war stories as well. So if you can tell us how you arrived at your perspective on the topic, maybe without giving away the culprits, what was the worst interdepartment relationship you experienced as a success leader? Yeah, wow, it's too bad you can't see scars over podcasts. <laughs> as I say, all, all of these companies I've been with and folks I've interacted with have, have you know lent to understanding what does work and what doesn't work. And I would say my first step into being an official VP of customer success, I learned a lot of what customer success isn't. Mm -hmm. I hired into a company who had a retention challenge, and so they wanted to bring in a VP of customer success. But their perspective of that was it was really premium level support. Mm-hmm. And it was still break fix. It was still reactive, but really the worst part of that experience, or what I learned the most about, is you know customer success has to start with leadership, and it, especially in a venture funded sort of company, relatively small, it, it starts with the CEO. And if the CEO doesn't truly believe in you know customer success as a discipline and what it means to to formalize and execute against that. And, you know, what the ramifications are in retention and that it really is a company-wide initiative. Mm -hmm. So you can call, you know, he runs customer success or she runs customer success and you can think of it as an organization, which it inevitably is, but it's also a culture and, and a way of life for a company. And so as I hired into this company, it became clear that they were still in a product economy. They were still in a, a, in a... Even though subscription is a business model, they really didn't have that mentality. Customer success to them was really glorified um, support. And and because the CEO didn't have that perspective, and and a lot of CEOs, if I go back to my support days at big companies, support was one of those groups where you just give them as little money as possible. Mm -hmm. It's a cost center. We want to keep the escalations down so the CEO doesn't, you know, get into trouble. Yeah. Right. Nobody's ever over-invested in, in tech support. <laughs> that is um, and so that was kind of the mentality. So it was very challenging to uh, push into a proactive cadence uh, with the customers. And because the, the CEO didn't get it, she managed the company in a way that created a lot of friction and a lot of tension, and it became very siloed. Right. And the reality of it is, is when you're a service all the pieces of the engine work together for a certain outcome. It's no longer, you know, I build product and throw it over the wall and then you just support it when when there's a problem. So that leadership, that lack of tone of customer success really permeated the whole organization. And it was very, very difficult to uh, get things done and, and influence people. And a classic example, and I mean, this, you can't make this stuff up. It was fall, and my CEO had gone to some cocktail party right. and ran into a, 
person who used to be a Salesforce executive in the customer success arena. And obviously, uh, Salesforce is very highly regarded for what they've done in the areas of customer success. Right. They're one of the pioneers in gorillas. And this, and she asked, you know, how did you guys go about this? And you know, I'm kind of paraphrasing from the story she told me, but essentially they talked about creating these cross-functional pods, right? And how you know a customer success person or a support person uh, and a renewals person and an account. Uh, exact or salesperson could all come together into this little cross-functional team and basically have their little group of customers and make them successful. Uh So she pulled me into a conference room and basically directed me to give her all of the headcount servicing these premium customers. So we had 50 or so customers paying a lot of extra money and I was being told to uh-huh. take that headcount and give it to this pod concept. Wow. So problem one is, what are you going to do with these customers who are paying and have these relationships because these people are now kind of being directed otherwise. And there was no plan around it. And it was literally, these pods were put together and the pods were told, you guys just work together and figure it out and we'll support you and we'll accept so some no mistakes. So no real plan nothing. behind it. And it was an absolute unequivocal disaster. Yeah. And, you know, let's just say my, my time there was very short thereafter because it just, it, it was not a good situation. And without the right leadership being willing to listen, learn, as well as right. exercise their leadership, um, there was no way I could be successful. You can't, there's a lot of things we'll talk about today that you can't throw customer success bodies at right. to fix. There are some fundamental pillars that need to be in place. So that was a big lesson for me that, you know, one of the prerequisites is that the CEO is really understands and is tied in. And there's a, there's a level of agreement about what customer success is going to be at this company. Right. What is it about? And how does it influence everybody else? And how do we all participate in it? So it's an organization, but it's also a, a mentality and a way of life and a way of thinking. And it starts at the top. Yeah. And I think it's... That's so important is, uh, you know, the executive team is embracing this before you get started. And I, you know, I run into that with some of my clients as well, where, you know, the the people that I'm engaged with on a day-to-day basis understand it and are very engaged and get it. And then we run into issues as we go upstream with the concepts we're working on because it's just not embraced as part of the culture of the company. Well, and it's also the executives that come into different functions that are very important to support customer success, like a CFO or VP of product management, as examples, they also have to understand it as well. I had one company where I was working with the CFO and the SVP of sales to talk about how much resource we should apply to our strategic customers. And any time you talk about in- incremental headcount, the yeah. CFO gets a little <laughs> squirrely in his seat. Yeah, they get nervous. And, but his comment, his comment was kind of off the cuff, and he wasn't really joking though. He said, yeah. "I wish we could just go back to a perpetual model. It's just so simple. You get all the money up front, right? He gets all his cash, yay, and the deal's done. It's just so much easier." <laughs> and I was just thinking to myself, dude. That is not the world we live no, in. No, um, it's that is long gone. Well, yeah. and I, and I tie a lot of this back to our personal lives. Go look at your Visa or Mastercard bill and look at the subscriptions we all pay, right? Month after month, and you know, like our customers in the world of SaaS and software, you know, you can switch. There are mm-hmm. other alternatives, so you have to fight, you know, for for a customer's business. So it's not mm-hmm. just 
the business world where there's this subscription economy, we live it all every single day well, in our I th- personal life. I think that the personal side is really part of what's driving the business side toward that because we all do have these subscriptions in our personal lives. You know, buyers in companies are people too. They have that. They've become used to it. And that means that that's the way that B2B companies need to start offering Absolutely. What, what it is they do to their clients. So, um, yeah, that's... That's a big shift that is driving a lot of this, I think. But we're not we're not even close to what the B two C companies are doing right now, and no. on the B two B side anyway. Right. So let's flip it around. So that was your horror story. Let's talk about the good stuff. So what's the best relationship that you've ever experienced between a success team and another team within an organization that you worked for? So at my latest organization, I reported to the CRO, and I firmly believe in my perspective moving forward that especially in the company sizes, you know, these venture-funded sort of companies, less than 50 million, you know, I really believe that that the head of customer success, the executive of customer success, has a seat at the table with this CEO. In this case, I went to work for a CRO I had worked for in the past, and one of the benefits to that is he got it big time. Yeah, that's he knew great. what this was all about. And so the 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 benefit of that is we sales and 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 the CS team that I built worked hand in hand, and it was an exceptionally positive relationship. Uh, when I first got to the company, it was a very virtualized company. We had lots of staff in, in L.A. and New York and London. And the very first thing I did was get on a plane and go meet as many people uh, in the field that I could. Both mm-hmm. CSMs I was inheriting, but all the salespeople. Right. And understand what's going on, what their challenges are, and so forth. And so we really did execute you know, as a team. I had a regular one-on-one with the, with the mm-hmm. VP of sales. And, you know, we, we shared where we were at because at the end of the day, we all want to renew the customer. Right. We all want to <laughs> expand it. And at the end of the day, we have one set of financials. So we're very aligned. We just have different roles, right? And so in that case, you know, the CSMs were the farmers and his team were more the hunters. But we had to work together extensively because whenever we would get a contract, you know, we had a land and expand, which uh-huh. most people are familiar with. But most of the time when we got a contract, it was typically... 10 to 20% of the lifetime potential of the account. Right. So we might get an account who was paying 100K a year subscription, uh, but we knew because of the size of that organization, what they did, that an account like that could easily consume a million to a million and a half of our right. services. So unlike the perpetual world where you sign the contract and then it goes over the fence to everybody yeah. else, signing the contract was the beginning of the journey, not the end. Right. So we had to work really closely. How do you transition that customer from pre-sales to the customer success team, how do you kick off that relationship? So it was a very intricate team, it wasn't silos. Uh And our account execs would have strategy calls either every week or every other week with their CSMs who are overseeing their accounts. Oh, that's great. That's a really so good I saw them as yeah. the quarterback because yeah. at the end of the day, they really do own the account. Even though the CSM is a trusted advisor, has all kinds of important relationships. You know, at the end of the day, it was a sales exec who got to the economic buyer, proved the solution, uh, and they have a lot to benefit from all that mm-hmm. sort of expansion. We enforce that through how we did our comp plans. Okay. So the CSMs had 75% of their variable comp was commissions against a renewal target. Okay. So it also had upside. Yeah. So if we, you know, we didn't set the renewal target at 100% because we know there's going to be some level of natural churn, but we set a number 
of I think 85 or 90% of the actual okay. target. And if we got over that, there was some upside, just like you'd see in sales. Right. So there was some incentive there. And then 25% of the variable comp was on expansion. And once again, if we did a big expansion, Perfect. there could be some stuff there. The salespeople had the opposite. Okay. 25% was in renewal and 75% was in expansion. Okay. And because so much of our business was uh, going to come from existing customers, even though the renewal piece was a smaller amount, um, they were totally incented to get that renewal because if the renewal, if the customer went away, that entire pipeline of upside went away. And right. You, and that would, that would destroy their year. Well, the other thing I think that helps with, in my experience, is it, it helps keep the salespeople focused on bringing on the right customers, the customers that are going to give you expansion opportunities down the road, and the customers that are going to stick around. Because otherwise, there can be a tendency, if they get to just throw the customer over the wall, that, you know, who cares what kind of customer they sign up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, we, there were a time or two where, Bad business did come through. We didn't have yeah. the concept of a deal desk. <laughs> yeah. You know, but those are really rough lessons learned when a bad deal comes through and you have to reverse a, a big number. Yeah. That's yeah, painful. You know, CFO's up tight. Everybody yeah. doesn't like that. <laughs> um, but in that same company, uh, we I had a similar synergy with the VP of product management. And we too both said, hey, you know, we should we should just be talking regularly. Right. Because, you know, he had different directives around resource and he was asking for things, you know, headcount and tools that really would help the customer success effort. But he was being squeezed for completely different reasons because he was in a different part of the mm-hmm. company. So by having these regular conversations, I understood his constraints. Instead of just looking at him and saying, why aren't you doing this for the customers? So we really partnered together and, and tried to find the middle ground solutions, you know, where it all worked. And so that was just the commitment to the customers and in good communication. And it became an important relationship for me because I ultimately needed some JavaScript embedded in the product to yeah. do some NPS scoring and some usage stuff and I you know I needed a lot of stuff for them but because that relationship was there and we understood our constraints and so forth you know we saw it as a team effort and not product versus customer success right and you know that individual we pulled on site you know is appropriate with customers uh, they'd be on customer calls and so helping them to, to understand the voice of the customer and not just see what's in the system listed as a bug or a feature, yeah. right? And so that was a you know very you know very healthy relationship. And you know the the second piece of my kind of lessons learned, you know, we talked about leadership, but that product piece is also a prerequisite, yeah. right? If your product doesn't install, deploy, get adopted easily, and ultimately show the customer the value they purchased in a fairly frictionless way. You can't throw people at that problem. You yeah. can try. <laughs> a lot of people do. And I guarantee but, yeah, you'll have some interesting arguments well. with your CFO. Yeah. But in this world where we expect things to be on 24 by 7, it, it kind of gets back to your point uh, coming from consumer experience. You know, we're used to, you know, look at Facebook or LinkedIn or any of these things we're all on every day. And there's no training. There's no manual. Right. It's intuitive. And 99.999% of the time, it's there and it works and it does what we want. And that's a really good experience. And so when you shift over to the business world, we do have that same expectation of ease of use and mm-hmm. really intuitive interactions. I think in my experience back in the perpetual days of kind of Commerce One and, and Sybase and Success Factors, we accepted that business applications could be complex and clunky, 
Uh-huh. Right? We had this client-server architecture. that's how they all and were. And big old <laughs> deployments, and it was $2 million in right. services. And But in the end, you got this thing that worked after you trained a million people. Mm-hmm. Well, we just don't think like that anymore. No. And even if you're buying a complex B2B sort of solution, you have big data, analytics, security, you know, those sorts of things, we still have those expectations. So it puts a huge burden on the product piece of the puzzle. Because without that, I just don't believe customer success can be a Band-Aid for Yeah. So, Mark, let's get tactical and talk about your recommendations for the listeners. And this is really, you know, what what do you think would be a best practice in terms of how customer success works with various teams in the organization? So since you brought up sales in your last example, let's talk about sales. So what are your recommendations for building a bridge between the sales team and the customer success team? It seems like there's always a little friction between those groups uh, in most of the companies I work with. Um, what do you see as a great way to work together? And then what are the benefits of having a strong relationship between those two teams? Right. So, we, you know, we've touched on on some of it, especially when you have a land and expand. It's really the recognition that it's not I sell new customers and then you go support them, right? It, you really look, I look at it as we're a team, yeah. right? And I might be defense and your offense and you might be the quarterback and I'm supporting you, but there's one ball and there's one goal line. And right. so I think that... You know, this gets back to the leadership thing and having, you know, the head of sales, the head of customer success really understand what we're trying to achieve. And every company has different DNA. You know, what's the customer journey? Where are the friction points? What are the roles and responsibilities? You know, do we agree that customer success is a nurturing farming activity to help customers maximize the value of what they've bought and that the salespeople are are more on the transaction side. You know, who owns the transaction, Mm -hmm. right? And those aren't hard and fast. It needs to be done this way or that way. But if you don't have those conversations up front, you run the risk of people bringing in their own experiences Mm -hmm. and then making assumptions on those experiences. And then if my assumptions and your assumptions don't perfectly mesh, which they're not, um, then we have a problem and we have right. friction. And that friction, when it starts at the top, as I told you in my first scar-ridden yes. story, <laughs> you know, that trickles down. Yeah. You know, people sense that. So, so it starts in the, at the top. You know, I think really having the right, first of all, understanding roles, responsibilities, you know, what is customer success, who's doing what, how do the teams interact, kind of that rule of, of engagement. But then more tactically, I mean, the salespeople want to make money. They want to sell. They're coin-operated. They want to do transactions and create relationships, right? And customer success wants the same thing, but typically people in customer success have a little bit, you know, of a different DNA. So, you know, what is that process to take that new logo and get them on board? Uh Because, like I said, I don't believe, you know, one of the biggest places you can screw up in working with a customer are transition points. Like if the customer transitions from you to me, do I have all the knowledge? Do I have the history? You know, are you and, sort of forcing that customer to repeat themselves exactly. over and over and over again? It can be really cumbersome. Oh, that that you know, and then you're off to a bad foot. Yeah, it's like it's I've been talking to you experience. for six months, yeah. and now I have to repeat all this. <laughs> yeah. So we created kind of a playbook and processes where we had once a contract was signed, we had a very tight process where the sales team, being the account exec and the pre-sales person, met with the customer success individuals who are going to handle the account 
you know, we did an internal briefing for that very reason. Mm -hmm. We had forms and ways to collect the data we needed. We had an internal forum where we can ask questions and get clarification. And then we had a very structured way to reach back out to the customer, thank them for their business, and then organize a kickoff that included the salesperson. And they really didn't have to do anything. They were there to, you know thank the customer for their business and roles and responsibilities. So we created this experience that, that was very engaging and, and clear and concise, you know, for the customer. And then, you know, as we got off into the implementation and adoption, you know, I talked about having regular cadence discussions between the CSM and the salespeople, which, which worked really well. And I'll just caveat, this was a very high-touch environment. Right. So, you know, this is not going to work when you have a CSM that has, you know, 50 accounts. I mean, I, I know I've spoke with some of my colleagues here in the, in the Bay Area, and, you know, I talked to one gal the other day, it's 1 to 500. Yeah. And she's pulling her hair out because, you know, they're not that's, set that's up to lot. do that. That's yeah. a lot. So that's a different level of discussion of automation and how you understand and and create early warning systems. But this was a very high-touch environment where the dollars were very big, the relationships were very important, and, you know, that seamless handoff. And then as the customer moved forward, you know, making the activities of what's going on with the customer visible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we deployed a, a customer success platform and started putting structure around health, oh my God, everybody was so excited. Yeah. The VP of sales logged in every Monday morning and he's marked, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread because I can go into my week and know where the fires are mm-hmm. and I can go click, click, click and I can get to the notes. So mm-hmm. that level of transparency really was appreciated by the salespeople. That's great. So kind of give something back. So you're, you're oh, getting totally. these customers nicely transitioned from the sales team and then giving them some really great information they Absolutely. can use as well. Be- because then the flip side is, you know, we're in working with the customer and we've got our little in- invisible antennas up for little clues and signs of maybe upsell or uh-huh. you might hear about so-and-so's now in a new department and they're doing this and that's interesting. Or you might, you know, hear that an exec's about to leave, yeah. right, and and so forth. So, you know, the communication back to the salespeople, we were kind of their little inside advisors, if you will, because That's we, great. you know, the customer didn't see us as the, the salespeople with the, the transaction responsibility. Right. You know, I've had customers say, look, I want to have a meeting with you guys. Do not bring your sales guy. <laughs> and that's really difficult because the salespeople, they should they be love, there. Well, and they love to go. And they, they love to go. They like to talk to people. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's interesting when a customer yeah. says that, you know, they're recognizing the difference between their trusted advisor that's there to help them and the guy they know, you know, his compensation and his drive yeah. is to get the thing. And sometimes, you know, when things are tough, they yeah. don't want to talk about that stuff. Yeah. Let's fix our issues and, and move the ball forward. So I think in the end, customer success has to be hand-in-hand with sales. And even though they might be different executives with different people and different comp plans, at the end of the day, we share a common goal, right? And it's it's to grow our customer base and and make them successful. And we want to see our retention numbers and our renewal numbers and our expansion numbers go up. And we all win for that. And so working in a silo, it's just never going to work. And when I've seen those silos happen, it's, it's... you know, it's bad news and typically, you know, scar tissue yes. <laughs> results. So, you know, that view, and it, and it goes beyond that, right? And there's some other areas I know we want to talk about, but sales isn't the only one who has to right. be a piece of this this puzzle. Well, let's move on and talk about product. That's the next one. So I hear from my clients a lot that there can be challenges or 
friction between the customer success and product team. And I think in most companies, the product has a huge impact on customer satisfaction, and that can really make the lives of customer success reps a challenge if customer satisfaction isn't high with that product. So in your experience, what's the best way for success and product teams to partner up and provide a really great customer experience? Right. So, you know, if leadership is prerequisite, number one, products, number two. Okay. Um, and it, as I mentioned, you know, that, that ease and speed of deployment, I call it velocity to value, mm-hmm. right? Somebody signs a contract because they know your solution is going to solve a problem. But then there's this window between that contract getting done or that check getting signed and when value's flowing out of the system. Right. And we want to we want to minimize that, right? And that's not always just a function of the CS person, but it's largely a function of the product yeah. and, and so forth. So a close relationship with product at all levels needed. So I talked about just, ha- you know, having close one-on-one relationships, you know, with, with other executives is key. But we also had a seat at their table for critical meetings and making critical decisions. Oh, that's great. So, for instance, we had one piece of, of the technology puzzle where there was a quarterly roadmap that mm-hmm. supported different um, mobile devices. And, you know, the mobile device ecosystem changes, you know, daily. Right. And so we'd have to make hard decisions at the beginning of the quarter about the things we were going to do or not do. Mm-hmm. The company's goal was to dominate the device ecosystem, which means more and more and more and more. Right. But to our customers, that wasn't always what they needed. Right. right. And so we at least had a seat to represent the customers and prioritize. So we were part of part of all of those meetings. Another piece which seems sort of obvious, but I've seen it work and not work, is the function of support is still an important part of the customer success function. It is the break-fix reactive piece of the puzzle, mm-hmm. but in my opinion, that has to work really, really well. Right. Because if a product or solution is terrible and buggy, generally that's going to result in a lot of support activity and escalations right. and, and so forth. And so, you know, when I say product, it's, it's kind of product management, but it's also the engineering and release and operations mechanisms that are, that are really important. So, you know, responsiveness in that respect, yeah. you know, as well. And that's kind of table stakes. I mean, right. people just kind of expect that now. They do. And if if a, if customer success people are running around firefighting, you know, that is indicative of, of much deeper, typically product problems, you know, not always. So, you know, just like with sales, a really tight relationship, having product managers participate, maybe as a fly on the wall and maybe uh-huh. as an active participant in a customer discussion. You know, I flew out to London to meet a very big customer who, you know, had some challenges and gripes about some things. And I pulled the VP of product management straight on the plane and we were there together. Yeah. Because customer success shouldn't be making any commitments for product related stuff that they're you know, not in control of delivering, right? right. And so, you know, it's okay to communicate something product has blessed and communicate that and be the messenger. Uh, but in a contentious or uh, situation where customers have issues and concerns, you know, I involve, you know, the, pro- the appropriate product people right. know, to, to hear that. We did other things where we would have uh, frequent meetings internally and we had a feature request list that we would prioritize based on the whole customer success team and their portfolio of customers. And that way, when we went to product and said, look, here's the list of the customers, it wasn't, well, 
Fred has his list and he's fighting for his right. and Sally has her <laughs> list. It was a concise list that says this represents our priorities as the worldwide customer success team. We had something really similar at Vertical Response um, that we built where it was really all of the features kind of stack ranked by, you know, things like the revenue that, that they were bringing in and how many customers were represented by that feature request. And it enabled the entire customer success team to really get on the same page about what are the priorities, what are the flags that we're going to continue to carry until those get resolved, and then we can put them down and pick up the next one so that everybody's on the same page. And it also provided a lot of really great insight, I think, to the product team because they they really could see immediately the business case for working on those things. You know, they have to balance working on things for the customers and then doing the cool visionary stuff that's going to push the company forward. But if the customer stuff is coming to them in in kind of a more emotional ad hoc kind of a way it's really hard for them to absorb that I think yeah no very very true at one at one company I was at there was a very aggressive roadmap that that the VP of product management had to take on and essentially he came back to the, the customer team and, and the CEO and said look this plan is based on absolutely zero interruptions not a single bug not a mm-hmm. single customer issue so yes Mr. CEO, I can deliver this to you, but one thing that comes in unplanned mm-hmm. will throw this roadmap off. Now, I stood up loud and said, you got to be kidding me. You know, show me the last enterprise software SaaS company that hasn't had a piece of their engineering and product team that needs to work on customer. Right. That's just a flawed assumption. That's like assuming you can stay awake 24 hours a day and sleep is not necessary. So we're going to measure your productivity. (laughs) I mean, it's just really that, that sort of ridiculous. So, I mean, and this is where, you know, it starts at the top with the CEO and getting that portfolio balance within product, right? Because if I've, I saw a situation or multiple situations where it was really focused on the cool visionary stuff, which is important to stay a leader in your category, um, but it has to be balanced because, you know... So you have to keep your customers to pay the bills and get you there. Yeah. Well, and also customers, especially customers who are really using your products extensively, who are pushing the limits. Right. We all have those kind of top five customers that are just going beyond and asking questions and pushing the products, and, and you got to embrace those customers. Right. Right, because good chance they're not the only one who, who can benefit from some of those en- enhancements. They're just, they're they're, you know these technically aggressive folks who are just pushing the envelope. Well, I think they can help provide some from some real insight into for the product team into, you know, what's really going to work. So they may have some great vision for, you know, where they want to move your product to, but if they can't if you can't um, you know, kind of substantiate that that's actually going to work for a real customer, you know, that's going to be a problem. And so those those high performing customers can really help you know, if you can team them up with the product team, they can Absolutely. really help provide some good direction, I think, for product. Absolutely. I met one VP of product management who requires product managers to sit on one customer call a week. Yeah. And, you know, could be a fly on the wall. Yeah. But um, as a CSM, we're, we're doing their weekly, you know, things, is, is here's what they had to say, yeah. you know, and, and, and so forth. I, I had a uh, CEO I recently met who, um, you know, their mantra was customers first. I said, well, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's cool. But what do you do as what a CEO? What does that mean? <laughs> yeah. what, what, no, like, what do you actually do? Like, how do you make that happen? And he said, well, one of the things I do is, and I met a lot of resistance, is I requested or required that a section of their performance review be 
what have you done to help customers? I, you know, I don't know how it was worded. For everybody in the company? Every single person wow. in the company. And engineers especially said, you got to be kidding me. I don't talk to customers. I sit back here and code. And he said, no, you don't. I mean, yes, you, that's what you do. But the reality of it is, you know, you're the UI person. Mm-hmm. So the quality of that UI makes a huge difference. You know, you, you know, you build the APIs and the integrations and the quality of how that all works makes a difference. If you're the uh, executive assistant, you might be organizing a corporate visit. Right. Right. And the image of the company and, the, and, and how that visit and the professionalism of how that goes off. You know, other things are really obvious if you're in support or you're in you know, products management or, you know, if people in the field. That's kind of obvious. But at the end of the day, he said, we only exist to service our customers because if they go away, the lights go out and you don't have a job. Yeah. So at the end of the day, what you do, what you do connects you know, even if you're the travel coordinator for the CEO who's on a plane 24 by 7, you know, his ability to be where he needs to be and yeah. service those customers is important. And, and so everything everyone does ultimately results in the quality and image of how they interface with the customers. That's I a thought, great example. That, yeah. I thought that was really cool. That's fantastic. So, I, you know, I ask CEOs who kind of have this customer's first mantra, it's like, you know, how do you... What do you do? Right. Right? Because actions speak louder than words. Yeah. So, you know, nice little banners around the office is all swell, but really at the end of the day, um, you know, what do you do? The other piece on product that uh, I did at one company that was a raving success is we had a, uh, our largest customer who was based out of the UK was coming to California for a conference and a variety of things. We wanted to stop by the office and get an update on the roadmap and, you know, just have FaceTime with the executives. And so I called out to him and ahead of the visit and I said, Claudio, while you're here, would you be willing to give a, a, a presentation and a demo to the whole company? Because like many uh, companies in Silicon Valley and, and San Francisco, you know, lunches are provided yeah. and everybody gets together. And so I thought that would be perfect. And he said, I'd absolutely love to. So he, it was a, a, a mobile application development uh, company and so you know we're selling all these super technical development tools but the engineers never saw the pretty end user apps that hundreds of thousands of people were using uh-huh. so he got up there gave a demo of the app gave some really great critique of what was working and a really kind of positive here if I had my brothers this would be better and the the they loved it right they loved it because up until then it was like we develop stuff and it goes away and everybody else deals with it. Or there's an escalation because something came through support and it's a big fire right. drill. Well, that's not overly inspiring no, stuff. No. That's not. But no one wants to talk about that. Yeah. No, so invite your customers in and make it a regular thing. I think you know? that's a great suggestion. Make it a regular thing because it, yeah. it makes it real. Like this was a real guy running a business. It wasn't just, you know, a account page in Salesforce. And he showed the app and what they accomplished. And it was super, super cool. And, I mean, eyes went, like, you know, wide open. It was uh, it was exciting. So I think that's one of the best things you could do to really help influence a company because everybody's there. Well, and I think that's fun for the customers, too. Because totally. who doesn't like to show off all the cool stuff they've built totally. with a product? So Totally. Yeah. yeah, you just need to, you know, preface, it, preface in your planning that, it you know, it isn't a, a public environment to, right. to, to bitch your... <laughs> 
feature requests through, yeah. through the system. But no, you're right, and it was extremely well received. So um, I highly recommend that because that just oh, that's great. Everybody benefits. Hi, this is Kristen. Mark and I were having such a good conversation today that we ran a little long and decided to split this episode into two parts. So next time we'll pick back up and talk about finance team, some of the other departments in the company that you need to be able to work with, as well as general trends in the industry. So we'll look forward to seeing you next time. I also want to thank our sponsors, Strike Deck and the Success League. To learn more about Strike Deck, you can visit strikedeck.com and follow Strike Deck on LinkedIn or at Strike Deck on Twitter. To find out more about the Success League, please visit our website, thesuccessleague.io, and follow the Success League on LinkedIn or at TSL Customers on Twitter. To get all of the latest episodes, please subscribe to Strike Deck Radio on iTunes or SoundCloud. And finally, thanks for listening to this podcast, and we hope you'll join us next time.